The Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, Episode 6. Plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs. Hello and welcome to the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, the podcast to inspire you and help you get the best out of your garden. I'm Richard Farrer. And I'm George Munford. Coming up. In this episode, we'll be talking to the RHS Director General, Sue Biggs, who I caught up with at the Tatton Park Flower Show earlier this year. Our plant of the month for September is Anemone Cross Hybrida Honorine Jobert. The perfect pairing, two plants that complement each other. Uh, we've chosen Anemone Cross Hybrida Conigin Charlotte, or sometimes known as Queen Charlotte, and Hydrangea Macrophylla Zambia. Jobs to do in the garden and vegetable garden we will cover, as well as two more plants of note, Astrantia Roma and Monada Scorpion. We'll also have forthcoming garden and flower shows for the month of September. So, George, we've just got back from summer holidays, which is why this podcast is a little late. It's been a little bit busy. You've been in the UK, I believe. Yes, we went on holiday to Norfolk. And we also had a week in North Wales, which is very nice as well. Did you see anything of any horticultural interest while you were out and about? Well, because I'm gardening all year round, Richard, I like to actually take a break from it and do some uh, different things. I don't blame you. <laughs> well, we went to Germany this year, which was uh, quite a big holiday for us. We went down to Bavaria, right at the southern tip of Germany. And there's one thing I did spot, which I thought was quite interesting. I thought, I must mention this to George when I get back, because I know you've always got a, a strong point, a viewpoint of yours, about council and municipal flower beds. In Germany, they've got some beautiful flower beds, really do have some strong civic pride. But one plant that really caught my note in the flower beds, where I don't tend to see here in the uh, bedding plants, was cannas. Yes, I was quite surprised that you told me that, Richard, because uh, as far as my knowledge goes, I think that cannas are not hardy. So I would think it gets quite cold down there in the winter. So Well, it's in the Alps, so I mm. can imagine for uh, two or three months of the year, that's going to be covered with a blanket of snow. Yeah, so I would think that the cannas would be uh, temporary bedding and they would get planted after the frost had finished in the spring and then they would be dug up before the first frost in the autumn and kept over winter in a heated greenhouse. So there would have to be a heated greenhouse then? Yes, I would think so. I think most cannas will probably want somewhere between zero and five degrees throughout the winter. Okay, so a low moderate temperature, but definitely above freezing. Yeah. I think they worked really, really well in a flower bed. It made a real architectural statement, being so tall, compared to the low bedding plants you normally see. I think they were really stunning. Yes, and um, I suppose my argument, going back to what I was saying before, is, is you could do that with other plants as well that would be permanent, instead of your canna that you have to plant each year, and the, the costs involved in that in terms of transporting it to and from the greenhouse, uh, the labour involved, you know, you could, for example, use a nice standard rose. Perennials, yeah. Yeah, that, that gets planted, 
gets fed and gets pruned each year, but that's it. Yeah, maybe a combination of both. I think it would be really nice if in uh, future months we could try perhaps get an interview with uh, somebody from one of the local council departments, flower department or whatever you call them, and see what they've got to say about how they run their organisation, what the costs involved are and, and how they do things. Yes, I'm... You know, I might have to agree to disagree with some of the things that they say, but yeah, I'm quite, I'd be up for that. Yeah. I gather you've uh, done something new this year as well, George, last weekend. Yeah, yeah, this weekend I was asked to uh, judge at um, a local garden and produce show, which is something that I've never done before. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. Um, The standard of the fruit and vegetables was very high, and it was quite a difficult job but something that i could grow into i think something that um some of the flower shows we go to probably more than all more northern ones especially tatton park some of the vegetable displays they have some of the sizes of the vegetables are absolutely astronomical yeah and one of the hardest jobs i had was my taste buds aren't as good as they used to be and i had to judge the tastiest carrot so it wasn't and, uh, just like the physical size of it. You no, actually had no. to taste them as well. Only one or two things I had to taste, yeah. But one of the categories was the tastiest carrot, and um, I found that quite difficult. Different species people were growing, different cultivars? Not necessarily. That might have been the problem. They might have all been planting the same carrots. Well, I suppose that comes down to the growing then and the soil, which I've often wondered that. Does it really make that much difference, the taste, the type of soil or how you actually grow something compared to the variety, for example? I think it probably does because most people tend to think that organic fruit and veg has a stronger flavour than conventionally grown fruit and veg. So that must have something to do with the quality of soil and the type of fertilisers that are being used. Maybe you get a stronger flavour when you're growing your fruit and veg in proper farmyard manure. I don't know how you quantify that. Taste is a very personal, subjective thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. During the Tatton Park Flower Show that I visited earlier this year, I was lucky enough to bump into Sue Biggs, who is the Director General of the RHS. Sue very kindly took some time out of her busy schedule to speak to me about her plans for the RHS coming up. So here we are at Tatton Park uh, Flower Show, RHS Tatton Park Flower Show 2013, and you are Sue Biggs, the RHS Director General. That is like top dog of the (laughs) RHS, isn't it? Yes, I'm very lucky to have that position, yes. A privileged position. (laughs) It is. So your hand is on the tiller, really, steering the direction of the organisation. What are your plans for the next coming years for the RHS? Well, I joined the RHS three years ago and we've been very keen since then to really try and make the RHS even more open, even more accessible and more relevant to more and more people. You know, wherever you live in the country, whatever your gardening knowledge is, whether you know Latin or not, whether you grow flowers or fruit or veg, or for everyone. And what's your background then? Well, I was 30 years in the travel industry, so I was managing director of Quony Travel for many years and had a wonderful time in long-haul travel. Uh, and I'd been there for 30 years and I thought, well, I'm getting on a bit. Shall I carry on in travel industry or shall I look at something new? And I wasn't seriously looking until I broke my ankle and was looking at the Sunday Times and there was the appointment section 
Director General of the RHS. And is gardening something you've been passionate about yourself? You do enjoy gardening? I love gardening. Yeah, I love gardening. I mean, I've been a member of the RHS 22 years now. Oh, well, that set you in good stead then. Yes, yes, and I live near Wisley, so I used to go to Wisley sort of every other weekend and now I'm lucky enough to be there every week so that's great. Wisley is the headquarters the RHS Well our actual headquarters are Vincent Square in London uh, which is wonderful there we have the Lindley Hall and the Lindley Library so that's great to have that there and then but most of our staff are down at Wisley the flagship garden one of four that we have We haven't been to Wisley we've been to Rosemore (gasps) in Devon Oh, and we've been to RHS Harlow Car which is we've been quite a few times to that which is really nice but Wisley is definitely on our list to go to Well Rosemore actually won best garden in the country from the Witch Awards so our team at Wisley are fighting hard this year to get the number one crown off Rosemore (laughs) and Hyde Hall in Essex is the the only other one we haven't mentioned which is also it's a really exciting garden Hyde Hall because it's under development and we'll be over the next couple of years planting a massive perennial meadow, which is going to be beautiful. That's interesting because it does seem the resurgence with wildflower planting, and a lot of the show gardens are bringing that on. And so you're keen to promote that and nature, and you've got your bee scheme, haven't you, with We've flowers got the bee for scheme. pollinators? I mean, the Perfect for Pollinator logo that we introduced now, what, nearly two years ago, has been a really important part of us trying to explain to everybody how important it is that we encourage pollinators, the bees, other insects, the butterflies, because if we don't all do something about horticulture, both environmentally, like that, but also career-wise with Horticulture Matters, the report we presented to government, we ain't going to have horticulture in the future. And what's your aim of doing that with the government? What would be your perfect outcome from that? Our most perfect outcome would be that horticulture would be on the curriculum in primary and secondary schools. We have certainly got very strong indications from what was announced last week that it will go as a, an optional uh, on the curriculum in Key Stage 1 to 3. So it's a start. We don't think that's enough. We do think every child should know how to grow their own food yeah. and grow plants uh, for all sorts of reasons. Health, well-being, the joy of it, the beauty of it, the environmental impact of it. Uh, and so on and so on so we're very very keen to keep putting the pressure on including around the chancellor a couple of hours ago as we took him around the show why not bend his ear <laughs> while he's here he went home with a going home present of the horticulture <laughs> matters report brilliant and the rhs award for garden merit that's yes. something you push for plants which you run through trials yes and you think those plants are good all-rounders which anyone can grow fairly reliably yes very instantly the trophy logo is a very instantly recognisable symbol that people know they're plants that perform I mean it's as simple as that that they are plants that we have trialled over years to make sure that they flower well, they perform well, they don't need specialist care, that most of us could grow without any really specialist knowledge So it's something, if someone's in a garden centre and they see that logo, it's a good clue that they take it home. It really is. Really good. perform well in most Trustworthy mark that they can rely upon if they're not quite sure which one they should choose. And at Tatton Park here today, which is your favourite category? Oh, that's impossible to say. I I just love the feel of this show. The setting's so beautiful. Every show's got its own character, isn't it? Chelsea is like the catwalk. Um, Hampton Court is very much a a, a gardener's garden show, as I think Tatton is. But Tatton's got the council flower beds, and no other show does that. It's got the stunning council flower beds, and I also love the community gardening aspect of this because a lot of our work in campaign school gardening, as well as through all the careers side, is very much about, and Britain in Bloom in It's Your Neighbourhood, is about communities coming together 
and having fun as a society, a, a village, a town, or whatever area we're talking about, and gardening. And that's the allotments and the community gardening and the civic planting here. All of those are all about communities, and that's really important for the health and well-being of gardening in this beautiful country. And the future of it. It's a very British pastime, isn't it? Is. It is, and we're renowned for it, so we should be proud about it, Absolutely. shout about it. rejoice it. Yes, exactly. So thank you ever so much for taking the time to talk to us. A great And uh, I'm sure you're going to uh, need a rest. It's been a busy year, hasn't it, with yes, all the garden shows? <laughs> and we look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. So what do you think to that, George? Wasn't she a lovely lady? Yes, I think it was a... Uh... An excellent interview, Richard. I think she was very interesting. Well, everything she said was interesting. And I learned a lot of things about the RHS that I didn't already know. I was interested to hear how they're really trying to promote horticulture, and especially in uh, primary schools. Yes, I think um, that's great. And what I would really like to see in primary schools, although I'm, I'm sure that time is limited, is actual more growing of fruit and veg within the school premises. Um, you often see these schools have big playing fields. Well, why not set aside a, a small percentage of the playing field and turn it into the school allotment? Why not indeed? We've heard a lot about school dinners recently, haven't we, with Jamie Oliver's campaign yeah. to try and improve the health of school children. And if school children learn how to grow the plants themselves, that's got to be a key component to that. I have uh, great trouble with my seven-year-old son who almost refuses to eat some vegetables, so maybe if I can get him growing some of his own, he might... You'll feel more engaged with it. Absolutely. I think it's a good plan. Yes, and wouldn't it be nice if long-term you could pick your kids up from school at the end of the day and there'd be a little fruit and vegetable open with produce that the kids are growing themselves? It'd be brilliant. Saves mum and dad going shopping in the evening. It would, wouldn't it? So, this month, George, for September, your plant of the month you've chosen is an enemy cross hybrider, Honorine Jobert. Yes, do you like the Japanese anemones, Richard? I love them. I've got quite a few in the, uh, in the garden. Don't you also call them the windflower? Uh, not these particular Japanese anemones. The windflowers are much smaller, sort of ground cover anemone that you see that flower in the spring. And they grow from a bulb. An enemy cross-hybrider, Honorine Jobur, is a hardy perennial and it can grow up to about 1.3 metres tall. I find the Japanese anemones particularly useful at this time of year because a lot of the perennials in the garden are starting to fade and this plant and the other Japanese anemones are looking their best in September onwards. This particular one has pure white saucer-shaped flowers and the leaves are palmate and the basal leaves are bigger than the ones that grow on the stems. What do you mean by palmate? The shape is a bit like, it's hand-like, so it's lobed. So if you imagine an acer leaf, a maple leaf, yeah, similar to that. Right, but not quite as spiky as an acer leaf. Uh, no, not, you know, the lobes are a, a more bit bu- more rounded. More yeah. yeah, the... An enemy hybrid, Honorine Jobur, it can be quite invasive. So once you've got it established, you need to keep an eye on it because it will actually start spreading into the other perennials and other plants around it. So you just have to keep it in check uh, yeah. each year. 
We've got a few Japanese anemones in the garden, which are in flower now. They do look beautiful. I'm not sure which particular variety they are, but I do like them. I think the flowers themselves are really, really pretty. And like you say, this time of year where other things are dying back, the garden's not as colourful as it has been. They really do shoot up, and they're quite tall, like you say, a metre, metre and a half. Good for the middle of the border. And once you get them established, they're very robust and they, they'll cope with a lot of different soils they're quite at home in heavy clay yeah our garden's clay here yeah and they also do you know they'll survive once established they'll survive a summer drought i like them and like you say they do keep coming back year after year trouble free i'd highly recommend them yeah um if you're especially if you're a beginner in terms of gardening an easy plant to grow plant and forget Absolutely. Although I remember that they can be invasive. Perfect pairing. Perfect pairing are two plants we choose that complement each other and go well with each other, sometimes for colour, sometimes for different reasons. Uh, what have you chosen this month, George? Well, I've chosen another Japanese anemone, not surprisingly. This one has pink flowers rather than pure white and it's called Anemone Cross Hybrida Conigin Charlotte. It has all the attributes of the previous Japanese anemone, but this one has pink flowers. And I've chosen a hydrangea to plant with it that also has pink flowers, so it's not a colour contrast here with this pairing this month. It's more two plants with the same colour flowers that would look good together. More of a height contrast with these two. Yes, absolutely. The hydrangea macrophylla Zambia only grows to about uh, one metre tall and about one metre wide. So it would be a bit shorter than the Japanese anemone, which you could plant behind it. The hydrangea macrophylla Zambia has these almost pure black stems, which makes it quite unusual. I quite like to see the colour black in the garden. There's not many plants that have either black stems, black foliage or black flowers, so it's quite unusual. can be good as a contrast against other things. Yes, and in this case it's the colour pink. So the flowers of this uh, hydrangea are pink. Quite vivid pink, aren't they? Yes, they are, and they flower from June to October. So a good long period as well for flowers. Yeah, I think anything over sort of two months is very good uh, in terms of flowering time. So we're coming towards the end of the gardening season, really. The autumn is nearly on us, or fall, for our American listeners. What jobs should we be doing in the garden this month in September, George? Well, it's a very good month if you want to do some planting, because the weather is reliably moist usually, although we haven't had a lot of rain this month so far, have we? Um, No. (laughs) Don't wish it on us. No. It'd be nice at night have plenty of rain during the night and then sunny during the day that would be the perfect wouldn't it but it's a great time yeah for planting so if you have been thinking for new additions in the garden then it's a good month to do it either now or in the spring if you have any evergreen trees and shrubs that you already have in the garden if they're still relatively young and you think oh actually i didn't put that plant that in the right place now is the time to dig them up carefully and put them in the in the new place 
you'd like to. And just for evergreen trees and shrubs, or is that the case for deciduous ones as well? No, evergreen trees and shrubs, they obviously have always got uh, some leaves on them. So now is a good time as any to do it. But deciduous ones, you want to wait until they're properly dormant in the winter. I think now is the time to do it with evergreen trees and shrubs because they're starting to slow down. They never stop because they're always evergreen. Yeah. So there's never really an ideal time, but now now is probably one of the best. You can also plant spring bulbs now. So if you want to add more crocuses, tulips, daffodils to your garden, now is the time to plant them. And finally, if you want a new patch of uh, lawn, you can sow grass seed now or later for the simple reason that the, the weather is reliably moist again, similar to the planting. That sounds a bit counterintuitive for me, laying grass seed or, sorry, laying turf or, or putting gra- particularly putting grass seed down now. As you say, things are slowing down, not beginning to grow as much, and you're planting seed at the beginning of autumn almost. It just seems, doesn't quite compute for me somehow. Yeah, it is because the weather is reliably moist usually and also because the soil is still relatively warm. The seed usually won't germinate in the height of summer because it's actually too hot. So really your only options for sowing grass seed or laying turf are, unless you want to be, in the case of turf, you could put it down any time of year really apart from if it's frosty. But the soil temperature is about right in spring and autumn. And I suppose by sowing it in autumn time, it gives the grass chance to establish itself prior to the uh, the main growing season next year. Whereas if you sow it in spring, it's got a... Well, sowing in autumn gives it a few months head start, really, doesn't it? Yeah, the spring and autumn are your two options, basically. You wouldn't do it in the summer and you wouldn't do it in the winter. And given the choice between spring or autumn, which would you go for out of preference? It depends how much time I had to maintain it during the summer. If I was going away and I I didn't have anyone to help me water it during the summer, then I would probably go for autumn because you can get it established if you do it in the autumn and then you've got the following spring to get it really, truly properly established. And by the time you get to the summer, it should be well and truly perfectly okay to leave it without having to water it during that summer. Whereas if you do it in the spring, you have to think about the following summer and how you're going to maintain the watering during potentially very hot days makes a lot of sense if you'd like to find out a bit more about lawns and how to get the perfect lawn we do have an ebook which you can get when you subscribe to our email newsletter it's free to subscribe you can find the um the subscription uh, the page on our website at plantadvice.co.uk slash subscribe So those jobs to do in the main garden, George, what do we need to be doing in the vegetable garden at this time of the year? During September, we can sow seeds indoors of lettuce. Outside, you can sow seeds of radish. It's also a very busy month for harvesting, so you can harvest French beans, tomatoes, onions, radishes, carrots, beetroot, spinach, cauliflowers, cabbages, lettuce, globe artichokes, broad beans, cucumbers, Swiss chard, sweet corn, aubergine, peppers, pumpkins, Brussels sprouts. I think my probably my favourite 
and they're a bit late this year because we had a, a late spring, didn't we? My favourite this month is the Victoria Plums. Do you like those, Richard? I do like plums, yes. Providing they're not too tart. And providing you can get to them before the wasps devour <laughs> And always check that there's not a wasp in the plum before you eat it. <laughs> very wise. <laughs> very wise advice. You've been caught out like that, have you? Uh, when I was a child, yes. Ouch. That must be painful. Yeah. Yes, this time of year is, um, well, lots of churches have their harvest festivals around this time, don't they? To celebrate the bringing in of the crops. And it's pretty much the same in our gardens. The list you've just rattled off there. There's an awful lot of produce you can be bringing in at this time of year. Yeah, it's the time to reap the rewards of your hard work in the previous months, isn't it? Yeah, and probably spend the next few uh, weeks pickling stuff and preserving stuff to last over the winter. Yeah, and some of the things can be frozen, can't they? Yeah, if you've got a big enough freezer. <laughs> plants of note. So, two plants of note that we've chosen. There's so many you could choose from, aren't there, really? Are Astrantia Roma and Monada scorpion. What features interest you with these two plants, George? Well, I love the astrantias. They're similar to the Japanese anemones. They flower very late in the year, and the flowers have a very nice structure, almost metallic in appearance, which I quite like. And the Monada scorpion is a form of bergamot. I also like the variety Cambridge scarlet, which has the bright red flowers. Do you know that plant, Richard? Uh, the Astrantia, yes. I've got two Astrantia in the garden. Not quite sure what cultivars they are, but I, I really do like the Astrantia. Monadas, I haven't got any. I've seen quite a few at the shows. I do think I quite fancy Monada, although our garden is getting quite full in the back, so I'm not quite sure where I'd put them. Yeah, you do need some space for them just to spread out because they do form a clump over time and they do need a soil that's reliably moist because... They can get a bit of mildew if they get too dry at the roots. Lovely shape on the monadas. Yeah, the flowers are a lovely shape, aren't they? Yeah, beautiful, really are. Forthcoming garden shows. Well, September is really coming to the end of the gardening season. There is one last big show on in the UK that is Sortum. It's from the 28th to the 29th of September, and it's the Malvern Autumn Show. So if you're around in that area, it is well worth visiting. I've never visited the Autumn Show, but I have been to the Melbourne Spring Show, and if that's anything to go by, then the Autumn Show will be equally spectacular. Well, that about wraps it up for this podcast. If you've got any questions you'd like to ask us, uh, which we could try to answer on the forthcoming issues of the podcast, please email us. The address to use is podcast at plantadvice.co.uk. If you've liked the podcast, then please leave a uh, rating on iTunes. It's nice to know what we're doing well, and if you've got any suggestions, also helpful. You can find us at plantadvice.co.uk slash iTunes. We've got plenty of show notes, links to the plants we've talked about in this episode. You can find those on our website at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 6. You can also follow us online if you'd like via Twitter at plantadvice or Facebook, which will be facebook.com slash plantadvice or a few videos we've got on YouTube of one or two of the flower shows, which is youtube.com slash plantadvice. 
Don't forget, we do have a free newsletter email that goes out once a month, which covers a lot of topics we talked about and uh, a list of plants and tips and tricks. And if you subscribe to the newsletter, we uh, give you a free ebook on how to get the perfect lawn. You can subscribe via our website at plantadvice.co.uk slash subscribe. Finally, the production of this podcast is funded by Commission and from sales of plants and other garden products that we promote or recommend in this podcast. So if there happens to be a plant or gardening product we mentioned that you particularly like the sound of, please purchase it via us through one of our affiliate partnership links. Your support will help us to ensure the ongoing production and longevity of this podcast. So that would be much appreciated. Thank you very much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. This podcast was brought to you by plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs.